Throughout history, men and women have dreamed dreams. Dreams of a brighter future, of a world without the pains of discrimination and suffering and war, a world of equality and freedom and peace. You know the dreams that have been dreamt. The dreams of Martin Luther King, Karl Marx and Thomas More. Dreams that the world really will become a better place. And today's dreams are largely the same, even if the details are different. Today people dream of a world rid of global terrorism, global poverty and global warming. We dream of a better world. And even those of us that don't dream those big global dreams have smaller dreams. They might be smaller, but they're personal to us and for that they are no less significant. Dreams that our little world would be better. We dream of happiness and security and love. We dream of health and wealth. We all dream dreams. And we dream dreams because we cannot live without hope. The hope that things are going to get better. But what do you do when all hope is gone? When reality tells you that no matter what you do, things are not going to get better. That your dreams will never be realised. What do you do then? Well, that was the devastating reality of the world of Ezekiel and his contemporaries as we left them last week in chapter 33. Last week we came to the most solemn moment in the book. The moment when all hopes were dashed. All dreams were gone. Do you remember it? Chapter 33, verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month of the fifth day, a man had escaped from Jerusalem, came to me and said, the city has fallen. See, after 32 chapters of proclaiming judgment, it finally happened. Judgment came upon Israel. Jerusalem was reduced to a pile of rubble. The city has fallen. It is a moment of utter despair. For this is not just the falling of a once great city. This is not... This is not ancient Israel's equivalent of 9-11. See, after New York's twin towers had collapsed, once the, the dust had settled, we remember well how under the leadership of Mayor Rudy Giuliani, New Yorkers dusted themselves down and summoned up the courage to press on, to defeat those who defeated them, to make the Big Apple bigger and better and juicier than ever before. They had hope and a determination to see their dreams fulfilled. But this is different. This is so different. For the enemy behind this attack in Jerusalem, well, it wasn't at the hands of Al-Qaeda. It was not even ultimately at the, ha at the masterminded by the Babylonians. No, the fall of Jerusalem came from the hand of Almighty God. This is the climax of the previous 32 chapters of judgment that Ezekiel had proclaimed. The city had fallen under the weight of Almighty God's hand of judgment. And if Almighty God is against us, then who can be for us? Do you see why all dreams and hopes have gone? When Almighty God is against us, who can save you? That's where we're at in this book. Jerusalem is under the judgment of God and as we've seen all the way along the situation that Israel is in simply reflects the terrible plight of our world. A world that we are told in Romans chapter 1 is also under the judgment of God now. 
And when we're under the judgment of God, what's the point of dreaming dreams? For when God is against us, who can be for us? And yet, astonishingly, there is more to say. The book of Ezekiel doesn't end at chapter 33, verse 21. You know that because we've just read chapter 34. Ezekiel still has a word from the Lord. And over the next five weeks, we will hear a word of promise. Even as Jerusalem smoulders, there is hope. And so for us, even as we live in a world under the judgment of Almighty God, all hope is not gone. And there is a dream worth dreaming, but please don't dream the hopeless dreams of a better world that so many have dreamed before us. That's just a waste of time. Human history is littered with those kind of dreams, broken dreams, hopeless, impossible to reach Hollywood kind of dreams, dreams that never materialise, dreams that are no more substantial than the morning mist. Don't dream those dreams. We're under the hand of Almighty God. Don't dream those dreams. They they come to nothing. They're a waste of time. But here in Ezekiel is a dream that is more than, well, more certain than reality. And it's a dream that is found only in God himself. For if God is against us, paradoxically, the only one who can save us is God. Do you get that? If God is against you, the the, the most almighty, powerful one in the whole universe, if he is against us and our world, who can save us but him? There is no cavalry coming round the corner. And so as we turn to chapter 34, the Lord says, don't put your hope in leaders. In verses 1 to 6, that's your first heading if you're taking notes. Don't put your hope in leaders. Chapter 34, verses 1 to 6, look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? That's not a difficult question to answer. I don't mind admitting when I meet some people and they tell me what they do for a living or what they're studying at university, I just glaze over. I'm a simple soul. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. I usually just say something like, nice weather we're having. But if I meet a shepherd, while I don't understand all the intricacies of his job or her job, I know basically what it's about. You don't have to be a shepherd and you don't have to have studied farming to answer the question at the end of verse 2, should not shepherds take care of the flock? Yes, they should. When it comes to being a shepherd, that is the bottom line. What's the point of being a shepherd if you don't look after the sheep? But that's not been happening in Israel. The shepherds of Israel had failed miserably. And what follows in verses 3 to 6 make a, well, would make a devastating BBC panorama documentary. Just imagine it coming up on the screens. I think it would come something like this. In the beautiful rolling hills of Palestine, hidden behind the serenity of the idyllic pastoral setting, are hidden disturbing truths almost beyond belief. Tonight, panorama exposes the cruelty of the shepherds of Israel. Red sky in the morning, shepherds warning. (laughs) I've I've missed my vocation in life, clearly. (laughs) 
That would be how it would start and then the BBC's undercover reporter with hidden cameras in his Wellington boots introduces us to the shepherds of Israel and their dodgy practices. And what do we see? Well, look at it for yourself. Verse 3, they eat like kings with choice cuts on their plates. They're well-dressed, wearing some of the finest clothes in Israel. And the investigation of the panorama team exposes these shepherds to be fat cats, if you'll excuse me mixing my metaphors. The shepherds are living in the lap of luxury and the sheep have been abandoned. Do you see it there at the end of verse 3? You don't take care of the flock. And not just abandoned, but they've actually been mistreated. See, as we read on, the findings of this investigation would definitely be passed on to the RSPCA. For there in Israel's green and pleasant pasture land, terrible cruelty is rife. Look at verse 4. Weak sheep are left to tend for themselves. Sick and injured sheep have been abandoned. Strong sheep are left to wander all over the hillside. And the lost sheep have been left to fend for themselves, exposed to the elements and the wild animals. And if that isn't bad enough, look how the sheep have been treated at the end of verse 4, harshly and brutally. The RSPCA representative speaking on the 10 o'clock news reads his prepared statement. In my 25 years of working with animals, I've never seen livestock treated like this. Having investigated some of the worst cases of animal cruelty, I'm left appalled by the neglect and treatment of these animals. That's verse 5, isn't it? They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. Sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. To treat animals like this is, is, is unacceptable. But what makes this unhappy turn of events so appalling and so shocking is that this is not talking about sheep. He's talking about people. God's people. And this is no panorama investigation and there's no need for hidden cameras. This is an expose of the leadership of Israel, exposed by the Lord Almighty, the one who sees all things as they really are. See, the Lord appointed shepherds to lead his people and care for his people and this is how they treated his people. Ignoring them and using the office to feather their own nest. See verse 3, you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. And desperately, it is all too contemporary. I have met people, and I'm sure you have too, who want nothing to do with the living God because of vicars and pastors and bishops and their appalling treatment of people and the way they have nothing to say that really leads people when clergymen only care for themselves and senior churchmen deny the truth with their controversial statements, believe me, God is not happy. They are there to lead the sheep and they dilly-dally in things that don't matter at all or things that, that just confuse people. For shepherds should care for the sheep, not leave them wandering and uncertain which way to go, but that seems to be the leadership in the Church of England, doesn't it? And so the Lord says, don't put your trust in leaders to give you hope. And you see, we see it all over the world. um, I'm a great fan of Mikhail Gorbachev. I I read his memoirs sometime, but I can't believe I've read these, but I did, I read them. I I read them on the beach, remarkable. 
As Gorbachev came to power, communism had been found wanting. The the Marxist hope of a utopian society was in tatters. The shops were empty. People had nothing. I was in Moscow in the summer of 1989 and um, I was working for a Christian organisation. Our our job was to try and speak to English-speaking Russian students. I only had one phrase really in, in, uh, in Russian. It was, can you speak English? That was it, something like that. Anyway, well, it was enough. They knew what I was saying and they'd either say yes or nyet and if they said nyet, it was au revoir or, well, whatever. I only had one phrase. <laughs> anyway, I was, in, I was in there in the summer of 1989 and, and, and everyone I spoke to longed for change. They had nothing, nothing. There was a, a nice cream van. It was boiling hot in the summer of 89 in Russia, boiling hot, ice cream van pulled up. Suddenly there was this long queue. I was gasping along with, the, with my friends for some ice cream. We hadn't seen ice cream for weeks. We went and got into the queue. Before, the, before we got to, the, uh, got to the ice cream van, it drove off. They'd sold out. Couldn't even get an ice cream. There was nothing. The shops were empty. The ordinary people had nothing. And meanwhile, leaders lived in the lap of luxury. It was remarkably like verses 2 and 3. The communist dream had been tried and found wanting. Russia needed reforming. And Gorbachev was determined to do that. Now I know he wasn't perfect, but I think he's a very brave man. And read his memoirs and you'll discover that one of the biggest hurdles he faced was overcoming the insatiable appetite other leaders had for power and for all the trappings of power. Time and again he came up against the problem of leaders looking out for themselves and not caring for the people. You see, isn't that uh, verses 2 and 3? And it's happening all over the world today. We can see it in the present crisis in Kenya, can't we? Now look, I know it's a highly complex and now highly charged situation. I'm no politician. I know the answers are never simple. But have you asked yourselves why, when that crisis hit, the leaders of that nation did not agree to an election monitored by the UN? If they really believed that they had been fairly elected, why did they not say, let's do it again then? Are they not out for themselves? Never mind abroad, look at our own political scene, closer to home. The allegedly dodgy financial dealings of a Derek Conway MP are just the tip of a very unpleasant iceberg that has been floating through the corridors of Whitehall for some years now. Cash for questions, cash for honours, now cash for family. And the financial issues apart, I'm sure I'm not the only one, increasingly frustrated with politicians and political parties who seem to form policies in order to be elected or re-elected rather than for the good of the people. Isn't that right? Isn't it obvious why the Lord says, do not put your hope in leaders? But a word of explanation, just in case I'm heard to be saying that all leadership is corrupt and self-seeking, and I don't believe that. I mean, we're all sinful, none of us are perfect, but not all leadership is is thoroughly corrupt and self-seeking. That's not the case. There are some in leadership who really are out for the good of others. Oh, here in Israel, they really were self-seeking, but even if they'd been better, the point still stands, human leadership cannot solve the world's problems. 
Don't put yourself, your trust in any leadership when you are looking at making the world a better place. The world is under the judgment of God. Not even good men and women, not even those who give themselves selflessly for the good of others can sort that problem out. The world is under the judgment of God has been reje- because the world has rejected God and no merely human leadership can solve the problem. Indeed, any attempts to solve the problem of the world are like putting sticking plasters on a fatal injuries at a road traffic accident. I'm not against sticking plasters. We need to do something. But it's not the answer to the problems of the world. I was listening briefly this week to Radio 5 Live and Victoria Derbyshire's phone-in early in the morning. Well, it's not that early in the morning, nine o'clock or whatever. Just goes to show you how quickly I get up, doesn't it? Well, I only work one day a week. I've got all the time in the world to stay in bed. Anyway, that's that's the point. People were calling in with their solutions to antisocial behaviour. That's been the big news again this week, hasn't it? She had one or two MPs speaking into the situation. And, you know, it was desperate listening to people trying to come up with solutions. People were bothered about it and they were trying to grasp at straws to try and find where the solutions were. Look, ultimately, the solution to antisocial behaviour does not lie in education or prison or better housing or better policing or wealth distribution or zero tolerance. Or The solution lies in the gospel. For at its heart, the problem with this world is that we have rejected the living God and we are under his judgement. So don't put your hope in leaders. Because secondly, leaders are under judgment too. That's verses 7 to 10. You see, leadership carries with it huge responsibilities. Often great privilege, but huge responsibilities. And so listen to the word of the Lord. The word of judgment against the shepherds of Israel. Verse, 10, verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I'll rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Do you feel the hopelessness of the situation? The people of God are under the judgment of God. Our world is under the judgment of God. What a terrible moment when the Lord is against the leaders of his people too. Yes, they need to be under judgment because they're corrupt and they're sinful. It's right that God judges bad shepherds. But it doesn't solve the problem because sheep need a shepherd. Remember Jesus' words at the end of Matthew chapter 9 as he went through Israel teaching in synagogues, preaching the good news. We read these words. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's our world. 
Try it out at the next dinner party you host. Um, Ask your guests, what do you think life is all about? It's great having these these really good dinner party questions, isn't it? Or or when you're down at the pub, I'm just talking about the football, and, you know, the games weren't very good today, a couple of nil-nil draw in the last minute. Talk about something really important. Ask your guests, what do you think life is really all about? Down at the pub, say, what do you think life's really all about? It's a great question. You'll have a fascinating dinner party. It'll just be interesting. Uh, You may get as many different answers as there are guests at the party. But on the whole, the answers will be either very shallow or very depressing. Shallow because if you ask people what you think life is all about, their aim in life is little more than materialism or hedonism. They're just living life to get stuff and to get happy. And they think they're going to get happy by getting stuff sometimes. I discover it again and again when I take funerals. When I ask people to tell me about their loved ones, they often have virtually nothing to say. I regularly come home before I take a funeral, having met the family. I come home to Caroline and and, and my heart is breaking. I say to her, look, you know, 70, 80, 90 years of life are summed up in... This person, well, they were a nice person who never did anybody any harm. They loved their garden and enjoyed watching Countdown and Coronation Street. That's it. I'm not exaggerating. That's it. Is that what life's about? It's so shallow. Or it's just plain depressing. Uh, Others will tell you there is no point in life. Oh, let me quote Richard Dawkins. He's always good for a quote. He describes the universe as having no design, no purpose, no evil and no other good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. How depressing is that? Your existence is just an existence. As Edmund Blackadder put it, the the other great philosopher. (laughs) Edmund Blackadder said, life is like a broken pencil. Pointless. That's much better than Dawkins, isn't it? (laughs) Try it out at any dinner party. People are like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know what life is about. They have no idea where they're heading or what they're heading for. So having bad shepherds does us no good, but having no shepherds isn't the answer either. And that is exactly the situation that the people of Ezekiel's day are in. They have no one to lead them. They are under the judgment of God. What do they do? Wonderfully, the Lord doesn't stop at judgment. Yes, he removes the bad, judgment, uh, the bad shepherds, but hear the word of promise. Don't put your hope in leaders because leaders are under judgment too. But thirdly, put your hope in the good shepherd. Verse 11. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will, I will feed them in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down to 
declares the Sovereign Lord, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Do you hear the promise? The Sovereign Lord promises to shepherd his sheep. The sheep who were lost and helpless and harassed without a shepherd. I will search for my sheep. I will rescue them. I will tend them in good pasture. I will search for the lost. I will, I will, I will, declares the Sovereign Lord. Do you hear the word of promise? Now hear the fulfilment. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10 verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And as you hear that well-known verse, note two things. Firstly, the divinity of Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he was claiming to be none other than the good shepherd of Ezekiel chapter 34. People sometimes say to me, Jesus never claimed to be God. What a superficial and perfunctory reading of the Gospels to come to that conclusion. People are just showing how ignorant they are when they say that. Jesus is the good shepherd of Ezekiel chapter 34. And who is the good shepherd of Ezekiel chapter 34? It is none other than the Sovereign Lord. In saying, I am the good shepherd, Jesus was clearly claiming to be the Sovereign Lord Almighty. And that was how the Jews saw it. If you've uh, still got your Bibles open, flip open to John chapter 10. I'm going to flip now back between Ezekiel 34 and John 10. You might want to stay in one or the other, or you can keep a finger in both, and you can flip back and forth with me. Actually, I've done it the easy way. I've got two Bibles, one open at both. You could pair up, have one open in each. But here we go. If If you want to follow, just see that the people of Jesus' day knew that he was claiming to be God. John chapter 10, verse 27. John 10 verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. As Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he was claiming to be none other than the Lord God Almighty of Ezekiel 34, who said he was the good shepherd who would tend his sheep. Note the divinity of Jesus, and secondly, note the difference Note the difference of Jesus. The difference of Jesus to all the other leaders. He is the good shepherd in comparison to the bad shepherd, the selfish leaders of Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen again to John 10 and verse 8. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can you hear the contrast to the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34? 
Remember again those words from Ezekiel 34, verse 3. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. The bad shepherds clothed themselves and fed themselves at the expense of the sheep. Jesus thinks only of the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He dies for the sheep. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. The bad shepherds ignored the sheep and left them to fend for themselves at great cost to the sheep. But Jesus, the good shepherd, healed the sick, bound up the brokenhearted and searched for the lost. How different is the good shepherd? And so as we close, hear the word of promise. Hear the word of promise from Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 12. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. A day of clouds and darkness? It was a day of judgment. And hear the fulfilment. John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep on a day of clouds and darkness as darkness descended he died for the sheep hear the word of promise Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 13 I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land And here the fulfilment, John chapter 10, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Hear the word of promise from Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 14. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. And when the sheep lie down, they lie down when they're safe, when they are satisfied. Have you ever had a sheep lie down when you're in, the, in, its, in its presence? No, because it's frightened of you. They lie down when they're safe. They lie down when they're secure, when they're fat. Not just because they can't stand up. (laughs) So here, the the fulfilment, the word of fulfilment. John chapter 10, verse 9. I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life. That's what Jesus wants to give us. One more time, hear the word of promise. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. And again, hear the word of fulfilment. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. What a God. What a contrast. What a difference to the bad shepherds. Nowhere else in the world will you find a shepherd like this. Nowhere else in the world 
will you find security and purpose and meaning in life. Nowhere else in the world will you find hope because this world without God has no hope. It is a world under the judgement of God. For if God is almighty as against us, who can be for us? Let's pray.